Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. stop. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy, easy, big fella. Easy, big fella. Man, I jumped in false start. All right, just kind of calm yourself down. Thank you. Yeah, get that out of your system. God Whispers, episode 338. Craig chomping at the bit. Now? You're listening to the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. Why are we world famous anyway? I don't you keep know. saying that. Do you know that for a fact, or is this well, fake news? You know, you know why? Because we have people like Henning, who I don't know what what happened to Henning. He he, he got into knife making. He's making knives. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's, he's forging. He's busy flying planes. No, you know what he's knives. done? He's unplugged. He's had he it. He got a life. That's yeah, he, what really happened. And and more power to him. I'm thinking of doing the same thing. I'm, I'm thinking jealous. of just unplugging from everything. Just. Go and live on some acreage somewhere and just basically not be seen or heard from again. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that he's done. You know, I've walked away from Facebook and social media and all that for like a week at a time. Yeah. And they've been the most productive weeks <laughs> of my adult life. I I'm kind of, uh, I'm almost scared of that productivity. What, what, yeah. what would happen if I actually, devo- you know, devoted all my time and energy and attention to that? Whatever I might that actually is. go to bed physically tired and sleep through the night. Right, that right. Would... <laughs> Rather than waking up with nightmares every two hours <laughs> about some stupid religious thing that you saw. You know, the the, the two goofiest topics on, on Facebook are religion and politics. Right. Between those two, it, you can just lose, you lose your entire sanity just reading this stuff. Yeah, so... Let's see, what have I posted recently? Oh, you know, we, we needed to talk about this last week. What? Uh, and it's not religious, but it, the man who was, wasn't was drinking while driving, <laughs> he told the cops that he was just sipping at stop signs. Oh, he was so, he was drinking like bourbon out of the bottle, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't doing it while he was driving, and he blew like over a 1.0 or a 0.1. A lot of stop signs where he was driving, huh? Yeah, he blew like a 1.5, which they say he should have been puking all over the place, I think. Well, you know, but, he might uh, be he might have trained for the event. <laughs> the guy's obviously a pro. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't but, try uh, this at home, kids. Yeah, don't don't mm. do that. That's bad. So but. so in other words, this is another one of those literal sense sort of things where where he interpreted the law as drinking while driving. Right. But he was drinking and driving, but not at the same time. Well, and the thing is, he already had a couple of DUIs on his record. So I think he probably had this explained to him before. 
that just driving under the influence is actually the thing. Well, that's right. See, it's not drinking <laughs> drinking while driving. That, that's that's a popular way of saying it. It's driving while it's it's driving while under the influence. Right. DUI. Right. Right. So it doesn't matter quite when you drank. It's how much you drank. So so this good old boy, he was he was um, he was swigging the bourbon at every red light and stop sign. Yeah, yeah, but officer, I wasn't drinking yeah. and driving. You think he might I, have a drinking problem? No, he has <laughs> no. no problem drinking. He's got a stopping problem, but not a drinking problem. It's, hey, speaking of all things, um, you see, but you see those those kids in the cave. Oh yeah, they got out. Was that an amazing rescue or what? I don't know much about the rescue. All I know is that quite they got out. quite the thing. I mean, that's when you look at the the route that they had to cover. It's it's part spelunking and part cave diving because some of those passageways were completely flooded. So they're they're hauling tanks into there and they had to actually train these kids to do and cave diving is a high level technical thing. You don't oh, you don't yeah. you don't just go and kind of rent some equipment one day and go in well some people do, but don't do that. Uh, that's a, that's considered a high level of technical diving. A lot of training, a lot of building up. You know, you're you're building up from a, a foundation of skills to get to this point where you can go into a cave. These narrow, uh, these narrow passageways. Sometimes visibility near zero. But right. they they actually got kids to go in the reverse direction, and they got them all out alive, which is just incredible. I I never understood how they got trapped there in the first place. What what were they doing in the cave, and how did they get trapped? Well, their coach, uh, first of all, this, this team, I forgot their name, the Wild Boars or something like that. Um, they're kind of a team of, of they're kids that don't have a state. They, they have no citizenship, as huh. I, I learned. They're, they're kind of like, they're, they're like orphan kids, some of them, not all of them. Uh, because in, in Thailand, it's very hard to get citizenship, and... Uh, there are people flick from all over the place, but they're stateless. And as a result, they tend to be poorer because you can't, you don't have access to education, certain jobs. But, but this, the soccer team, the soccer club were for these kind of these kids that would have been easy pickings for gangs and criminal activity. And the coach had cave experience. So he was, he was an experienced caver. So it wasn't like he was doing something reckless and I guess they'd signed off on it, and he was just taking the kids on kind of like a, you know, team bonding experience, adventure kind of thing. But he was in his element. It wasn't hmm. as though he was doing anything, like, off his skill set. But they ran into some bad weather, the cave flooded, and they got caught in a, you know, really deep area and hmm. no way out. Wow. No way out. So and it's not like there are any parents to complain either. So <laughs> well, it, yeah, there sad. there are parents and grandparents around, but uh, it's a different culture. You know, in our culture, there'd be lawsuits immediately. Oh yeah, 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 so yeah. everybody'd be sued. Yeah. Now the question, the question as a doctor of divinity, is this a miracle or is this just really good skills? Yes. Hmm. I don't think it's a miracle. It doesn't qualify as a miracle in my book. Miracle would be if if the if all the kids and the coach just appeared at the mouth of the cave one day and nobody knew how they got there, <laughs> right? That would be a miracle. If you, you can and explain I have different definitions of miracles, it's, it may be miraculous in the okay. sense of it being you know filled with wonder and awe that they did it. But you can explain every step of the way. 
all the training, every bottle of, of compressed air or enriched air that they were hauling around, all the divers in their training, the medical people, no, uh, nothing unexplained. So there's, there's no real miracle. It's like babies aren't miracles. They well, may be I, miraculous, I but they ain't established, miracles. Didn't we establish in the last episode that all science is voodoo, pretty much? Wasn't that yeah, what yeah. pharma, pharmacaia? No, thing? all medical science is voodoo. It's, well, we it's just pharmacaia. expand that to all science. <laughs> yeah, right. Since that involves chemistry and hey, physics and other things. Garlic juice demagnetizes iron. We all know that. Uh, the the sun moves across the sky. The earth is flat. You know, the, everybody knows this. Don't believe. Don't believe the stuff you read in the papers. We NASA. never. We never made it to the moon. NASA is actually a film company. It That's is all that they are. It they, is. They have there's sound stages and uh, pulleys and all sorts of things. <laughs> they do great special effects. <sighs> hey, do you, you, do you know that? About, uh, oh, what? Do you know that in an age where science uh, is on the increase, superstition also increases? It, I do not remember there being actual flat earthers when I was in college. I know, and and yet you can find them. Well, you can find anything on the internet. You can find Zoroastrians on the internet, but there's a whole flat Earth society, and they're 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 mean. They're dogmatic. Oh yeah, they're very narrow. Freddie Mercury was uh, from a Zoroastrian. Family. No, what Freddie Mercury was yep. Zoroastrian? Are you serious? Well, I don't know, you know if he th- himself practiced the religion, but his family was Zoroastrian. <laughs> Little known fact. Hey, we've been playing with science. You want to go to the science desk briefly? Hey, let's do that. All right. Oh, wrong volume. That's okay. It gives it that dorm room sound, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Science. Science. It's, it's poetry, poetry in motion. She turned her tender eyes to me. Let's leave a little Shatner going for a while. Oh, yeah. Any ocean. Yeah. Yeah, baby. As sweet as any <laughs> harmony. Oh, she blinded me with science. She blinded me with science. Blinded me with science. And failed me in biology. Oh, yes. Yeah, you failed. totally want to be Shatner when you grow she up. She failed you? me in biology. Oh. Blinded me with science. Shatner. The incomparable Liam Shatner. <laughs> Nobody better. So... This comes off of foxnews.com, so that's reliable. It's like the onion, right? Deadly discovery. Poisonous books found Ooh. in a university library. I've I've seen this movie. That's right. Name of the Rose. Yeah. Umberto Echo, Murder Mystery. That was a great movie. It's, it's kind of like dingy. It was very grubby. It you was. Know? I need to see that again. 13th century monastery, the whole kind of thing. The book is better. Have you ever read The Name of the Rose? No. Oh, it, it's based on a book. You know that, right? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Um, and it's it's tough sledding if you don't know Latin. In fact, it comes with a Latin pony in case you need to brush up on your Latin because big chunks of it are in classical Latin. But uh, Umberto Eco is a genius. He was a semiotician from Bologna, one of my favorite Italian cities. And uh, he wrote this book. But it's, it's fiction, but it's kind of a murder mystery set in a monastery. And yeah. and the monks are dropping like flies in the scriptorium, and they're suspecting conspiracy. Uh, and it turns out, spoiler alert, um, there's arsenic in the ink. 
and they're licking their fingers. See, oh, as man, you wrecked it. I did. I wrecked the whole thing. Wrected for all those people. But, you know, it, it all comes down to the last line. But here it is. If books could kill, scientists in Denmark have found high levels of arsenic in three books from the 16th and 17th century. High levels of arsenic. Now, is there any indication that the arsenic was added later by people who didn't want you reading the book? <laughs> yeah, right. So, in, in other words, where does the arsenic come from? The arsenic seems to be coming from the green paint uh, in the surface of the book. Now, is is it something that makes the paint the pigmentation? Does it help with the pigmentation? Um, I don't know, but the 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 X-ray fluorescence technology revealed that the green pigment in the book's covers contains arsenic. So it's not the ink, it's not the the colors. You know, a lot of those colors for illuminated manuscripts are probably poison too. You brought a lot of lead and things like that. But it comes from the covers. Interesting what the books are, by the way. Um, the There are three. Uh, one is the Anglica Historia by Polydorus Virgilius, 1570. Uh, there is the Historia Boemica by Johannes de Bravius, 1575. And then the third book is interesting for us Lutherans, a 1604 edition of the Vitae Patrum Das ist das Leben der Altvater, Vetter, Altvetter, plural, the ancient fathers. Sunnats den Prediger in Gottliches Worts by Georg Meyer, no less, the Lutheran. So one of these is a toxic Lutheran text. <laughs> From the Google, I just... Uh, okay, Googling the, sor- the source of all knowledge and wisdom. Yes. Mm-hmm. First of all, arsenic, chemical element on the atomic... Uh, of, of atomic number 33. It is. Did you know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brittle steel gray metalloid. Yep. But uh, then there was, uh, I typed in arsenic green, and apparently arsenic has been used in green dyes for a long time. There you go. Including clothing, which um, could have made your shirt poisonous, I guess, your green shirt, but uh, it it helps with a lovely emerald green in fabrics. They're conjecturing here that, that it was not so much for the aesthetic quality, but to protect the volumes from insects and vermin. Ah. Insects and vermin. Well, define vermin. Could that be uh, people who would actually read this book? Or? That could be. <laughs> that. <laughs> I want to put some nefarious kind of thing to this. So in case you're wondering, the National Center for Biotechnology Information describes arsine as extremely toxic and warns that the colorless gas... That's the gaseous form of arsenic. Uh, can rupture red blood cells, causing death via renal failure. So you don't want to go there. Ooh, go after your Now, why do we bring this up in the God Whispers, you wonder? Um, most theologians are into old books, aren't they, at some level? Yes. Do you ever spend time in the old book uh, room of the uh, Concordia Library? Yeah, you know, uh, um, since Dan Harmelink became the director of the Concordia Hysterical Institute... Um, That's a different entity, though. That's that was the, the yeah, but but going into their vaults also first oh, yeah. editions of the Book of Concord and other things like that. That's cool. true. That's true. Yeah. They had their own collection of rare books. And the thing about li- libraries is they're very possessive about their rare book collections. Yes. Nobody else gets theirs. You know, no. Th- those are those are traded like third basemen 
or or middle linebackers or something. You have to work out deals. I think that uh, Concordia Fort Wayne is 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 working on populating their rare book collection. They have their own. Yeah, you know, they have this whole new library wing that they built. It's really cool. It's really nice. 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 You're a regent for them. So I am. Things. Yeah. Well, I'd be, every time we come, they're dedicating something else. But they had they had a rare book reading room that and a nice display of some uh, some very uh, rare Reformation era books. But one of these one of these poison books is is one of the Lutherans, Georg Meyer. Wow. Um, the library is currently storing these these toxic volumes in separate cardboard boxes with safety labels in a ventilated cabinet. Uh, the next step is to warn librarians and readers of old books so that they don't end up like the name of the rose to wear protective gloves and to advise libraries to store any green painted old books in a dry, dark environment out of harm's way of people inhaling the air above the books. Hmm. See, they're worried about arsine, which is arsenic with three hydrogens, um, which... Uh, Apparently is volatile, so you can inhale it, and that's not a good situation for you. I was always concerned when I went to the rare book room. I, I, I read Chemnitz. I read some first edition Chemnitz and some Polycarp Lyser. Uh, these are all Reformation era guys, but I, but they had their first. They had original edition stuff, first edition stuff in the St. Louis rare book room. And you know you had to wear gloves, and, oh, yeah. and you know no drinks. <laughs> can't bring a can't bring like a Mountain Dew in there. That's the. Uh, but I was I was worried about catching like weird diseases that have like gone away, like some 16th century influenza or something for which you there'd be the no plague. cure. The you plague, get the, the little bubonic. Plague yeah, get the bubonic plague. <laughs> But, you know, I, I figured there might be like dust or things lurking in the binding or the margins or the cracks and crevices. So I was always a little edgy around old books. Uh, let's see. The most stable arsenic's isomers is uh, has a half-life of 111 seconds. So I don't know if that means that the toxicity toxicity starts to die off or... No, 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 no. Those are isomers. That's different. Um, we're we're talking about compounds. So, all right, not not the not the not the radioactive decay of the element. <laughs> it's it's persistent. It'll hang around. Look, it's hung around for for six hundred or for no for four hundred years now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing. You know, um, you were talking about the the rare books, mm -hmm. and I I know I've told this story before, but uh, when I got to the seminary back in ninety three. Someone said uh, that they had box Bible complete with handwritten notes yeah. and margins and stuff. Yeah. And so I went into the library. I said, is it true that we have box Bible? Oh, yes, it's beautiful. Can I see it? No. No. That's <laughs> Just <laughs> I no. I felt like I, was, like I was the English guy being taunted by the French guy in the castle in, in Monty Python's uh, Holy Grail. It's, yeah. it's a very nice. So the moral of the story is beware of green books that are old, huh? I, I guess so. Do you have and any green, green dresses, books? According to this article, do you have Here, any? Uh, yeah, well, that's. Isn't there green a green books. dress? Isn't there Keep a green her. dress in in If I Had a Million Dollars? Yes, but not a real green dress. That's cruel and poison. Now we know the real reason. <laughs> they knew something when they wrote it. Uh, Peeper. Bound Peeper. green bound yeah book Pe Peeper. I, I, some people would view Peeper as toxic potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. Uh, I don't know. I, I have the of... Anglican chant Psalter. That's green. Oh, well, uh, LBW. 
Oh yeah, well, yeah, no, that's right. LBW was declared toxic. That was declared toxic at the 1978 LCMS or 1979. I can't remember which uh, LCMS convention. I'm looking across, my and I don't think they did there. X-ray fluorescence on it. I, I think they just knew it was toxic from its green cover. <laughs> See, they knew something right there. How to fix damn near everything is also green. If you have a that's copy of that's that. a handy book to have. It no, is a good no book. pun intended. Yeah. All right. Well, so much for the science desk. You you want to you want to switch to uh, what the is science what, desk? What do we? Religion. You got any religion stuff? Well, there, there was, uh, you were talking about something on sanctification recently. Oh, that'd be, we, that's an and old mailbag we didn't get an, to. Was that, that was a mailbag item? Yeah. The God Whispers Mailbag, brought to you by Arsenic and Old Lace. Run it today. Bill? That's, wow, that cut off quickly. That was random. <laughs> You know, I, I I've never gotten my soundboard reflexes back. Yeah, well, it comes with time. They just went away. We used to, remember when we used to be able to do like live recordings, like at a higher things conference, and we'd oh, have yeah. the sound, we'd have double soundboards going. Oh and yeah. People were in amazement. Now we it's can't. True. Now we can't do anything any longer. Behold the wonderment that is the God Whisperer. <laughs> there was, there was wonderment, wasn't there? <laughs> Uh, all right. Dear Manly Doctors of Divinity, I'm hearing a lot of sanctification talk lately. In fact, uh, Higher Things recently had a, uh, a whole conference on sanctified. What exactly does sanctification mean? How would you define it? Well, okay, this is kind of tricky because sanctification means to be set apart— or to be made holy. And so you can look at this in in both those ways. And then we've got the problem of you are sanctified, and yet you are being sanctified. So Ooh. there's there's a whole lot of Ooh. juggling to do with this word. I see where you're going with that. So yeah. so you're not only looking at the 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 activity, the action that is to be sanctified. And and let's just say at the outset, this is God's work, huh? Third yes. article. 100 we, proof. We, 200 proof. <laughs> 100 proof. That's a little dilute for <laughs> that my would be taste. Half, half God's work, which so, is what most people believe. Like in the first article, there's the work of creation. The second article, the work of redemption and our, not, and our justification in the objective sense of that. And then the third article is sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit who makes us holy. So as you put, you know, sanctification means uh, to make holy, to set apart, to consecrate. Right. And so, and, but th- this is all the work of God. I think you have to start there. Right. The sanctification right. is not something we do. Sanctification is something done to us by God, specifically the Holy Spirit. And I, I think that, as I said, we are being sanctified. Ah, yeah, There's yeah, yeah. A passivity there. Well, and, and a temporal right. aspect, too. So you're saying that we are sanctified completely and wholly. Through the waters of baptism, we have been Killed and raised to eternal life, set in, apart in for Christ, God's glory. in Christ, in Christ, and yes. being in Christ, we're wholly sanctified. And yet, you 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 indicate that there's a kind of a temporal aspect to it too. Yes. We are being sanctified. Would you say that's a process or some progression? Are we progressively becoming more holy? Because that's what See, some this, people this, are saying. This right? is where it starts getting hinky. Yeah. Is is when you start looking at this in the wrong directions, mm. and and when it becomes something that we're doing, uh, you know, 
did I grow up or was I grown up? You know, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I didn't really do anything to grow from a seven and a half pound baby to this behemoth blob that I am now. Uh, you know, it was mostly passive that I didn't get to be six one by doing special things. <laughs> you, you just, I got to be six one because that's the way that God wired it. You, you grew up into happen. what you always were. I I guess you could say that. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad way of looking at it. You know, but but I didn't. You know, it, it's like you plant a tree, you go outside, you water it, you you watch the sun fall on it, and you go take a nap, and God does the work there. And uh, you know, you go out and you yell at it every now and then, but that doesn't make it grow. It just hurts its feelings, and it doesn't help. So we've got. Uh, this... Don't you go out and yell at your plants? I know I do. Oh, I was yelling at them a couple of weeks ago when <laughs> when I, I had I had a bumper crop of tomatoes that got fried by a hundred and sixteen degree heat. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, that that's was just that, sad. It was... Although. Uh, looking, tallying up the losses and looking at things, not as bad as it could have been. There's, well, there's still a lot of good, a lot of good tomato sauce going to happen. So, all right. But yeah, there's, there's a really good paragraph in the large catechism that I think summarizes what sanctification in this, this kind of wide sense, creedal sense means. Um, so picking up Luther writes, uh, large catechism says, do, do, do you prefer saying Luther says, or the large catechism says, and which is better? Depends on what day of the week it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, when I'm thinking clearly, I, I, which isn't often anymore, I, I like to say the large catechism says, because it reminds us this isn't just Luther's private writing any longer. This is our right. confession. Yeah, that's true. Neither you nor I could ever know anything of Christ or believe in him and take him as our Lord, unless these were first offered to us and bestowed on our hearts through the preaching of the gospel and by the Holy Spirit. That's oh, the let's I... stop there. Let's go back to that. I need to close the door. Paula just came in. She's making noise. Oh. Hang on. Let me go close the door. Be right back. All right. Sorry about that. I'm going to pick it up at the quote. Okay. Neither you or... I'm going to pick up the quote again. Neither you nor I could ever know anything of Christ or believe in him and take him as our Lord unless these were first offered to us and bestowed on our hearts through the preaching of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. That's all third article work, right? I believe that I cannot believe. On my own. Right, right. The work is finished and completed. Christ has acquired and won the treasure for us by his sufferings, death, and resurrection, etc. That's the second article. But if the work remained hidden and no one knew of it, it would have been all in vain and lost. In order that this treasure might not be buried, but put to use and enjoyed. I like that that added thing, not just put to, put to use and enjoyed, that we might enjoy the treasures of Christ. God has caused the word to be published and proclaimed in which he has given the Holy Spirit to offer and apply to us this treasure of salvation. Therefore, and here's the key sentence now, therefore, to sanctify is nothing else than to bring us to the Lord Christ to receive this blessing which we could not obtain by ourselves. So that's the that's the large catechism definition of sanctification, and that is to bring to Christ and to bestow his gifts upon us. 
or the way I like to put it, you know, remember that old controversy that that kicks around once in a while of uh, objective and subjective justification? Yes. So objective is justification of the world in Christ, Mm -hmm. and subjective is justification of the sinner, the individual sinner in Christ. You might say that subjective justification is sanctification. See, it's applying the objective justification of Christ, which he acquired for the world, to the sinner, received through faith, by the preaching of the gospel. But we have to be careful also not to blur together justification and sanctification. Why? Because people tend to, and and this is where it goes really Calvinistic or, or Reformed fast, but people tend to equate sanctification as something measurable, that you can gauge by your good works. Okay. So how do you get around that? Well... How do you avoid that? Okay, so how do I know that I'm being sanctified? Word tells you. You're baptized. I'm I'm going Calvinist on you. The Word tells you. You're told. But but how can I... How can I have confidence that I'm being sanctified, or that I am sanctified, or being sanctified? God tells you. But there has to be something that I could see. Then I mean, it, my good works. Then right? it wouldn't be by faith. If you can see it, you don't need to believe it. <laughs> see, you're like this is like an exercise in unbelief. Well, and and this is the problem when we when we confuse sanctification with good works. It's right. not the same thing. That's right. That's that's the thing. What do we call good works in the confessions? They're fruits of faith. Right. Uh, or they are like fruits of sanctification. They're the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it's not sanctification itself. You're not sanctified because you do good works. You do good works because you're sanctified. So I was sitting with a Calvinist uh, friend of mine, and and he was insisting that as a Lutheran, because we, we don't believe in uh, uh, the fact, we believe that you can reject grace, God's God's mercy. And uh, because of that, he insisted that we believe that we are saved by not rejecting the gospel. So it's actually a work. <laughs> yeah, right. And But then you turn that around, and it, well, how do you know that you're saved? And of course, the answer usually comes back to my good works is See, how I know that I'm a saved. But, but what's, 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 ro- what's wrong with that whole line of reasoning? A non-work is not a work. Doing nothing is not doing something. Being that, dead is not being alive. I know that, and you know that, but we're not Calvinists. But it's, so. you know, for, for a bunch, if, if somebody actually, if this is an actual conversation that you yes, actually yes, had, yes. Uh, for, you know, th- that crowd loves logic. They love, they love to parse everything logic. That's not logical. It's that, like proving a negative. Yeah, you, b- right. Yeah. That, that a non-work is not a work. Faith is precisely not a work. Trust is not a work. It may result in works. If I trust something, I will act accordingly, Right. But that acting accordingly is not the same as trust. So the way that I like to look at sanctification is that justification is having its way with me. And, and so as we, as we wallow in the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, God is at work in my life sanctifying me, showing me both the depth of my sin— and also the depth of his salvation for sinners. But it's not necessarily the good works, but I, I can say that sanctification produces a hatred of our sin. Is that fair? Sanctification produces a hatred for our sin? 
Yeah, it teaches us to hate our sin. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, sin is what gets in the way of our being what we are. Right. It's the static. It's the noise. Do you like a staticky channel? Do you like a... Uh, do you like to listen to music with a bunch of background noise? No, you want to eliminate the background noise so you can enjoy the music, right? That's what sin is. Sin yes. is background noise. Right. It's, it's background noise to our holiness. That's a good way of looking at it. I like that. I just thought that up. I think I might steal that. There's some good, you know, Romans 6, which which works right out of baptism. Roman, Romans 6 is justification applied in baptism. You know, Romans very orderly kind of book because Paul's got some time on his hands and he wants to he wants money from the Roman church, and so he's he's got to get his like theology in really good order, and so he treats justification in Romans three, four, and five, including objective justification that is as in Adam, so in Christ. So where Adam embodies all of humanity into sin and death, so Christ embodies all of humanity into justification and life. But Romans six. Tells you how that's applied personally and what it means, you know, as as we are baptized into Christ. So, uh, the to be baptized into Christ is to be joined with Him in His death, and also in His life. So we're dead to sin, and we're alive to God in Christ. So Romans six nineteen, Paul says, "I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members." as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So there's your kind of progressive notion, okay? That is, as we exercise ourselves in being what we are, then we are kind of putting to use what is already ours, right? Yes. I like this. Didn't you learn this at some, that sanctification is becoming who you are in Christ? Yeah, I think I've heard things like that, yeah. See, and I think there are two ways. When you think in terms of seem, well, I should finish the passage, 622, but now that you've been set free from sin, and that's, that's sin as entity, sin as lordship or dominion, have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. Hmm. See now in in First Corinthians one, Paul says, "Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption." So Christ is our sanctification, as He is our justification, as He is our cre- the creative Word. So it, it all hinges on Christ. It's all centered in Christ. And that's the problem with your Calvinist friend. He's looking at himself for sanctification when he should be looking to Christ, right? right. It always comes down to that. Well, and, and, you're, and that really touches it. This is the heart of pietism also. It's a, that inward-lookingness, constantly asking the question, how am I measuring up? How am I doing? Uh, you know, am I serving God today uh, properly and that sort of thing? And the answer is, no, you're not but Christ says you are anyway. See, I go back, I always go back to the semel, which is where our confessions draw us in the formula, is that we are at once in Christ and in Adam. We are in the flesh, but we're also in the Spirit. And in Christ, we are wholly sanctified. We're completely holy, spotless, blameless, pure, the whole deal. But in ourselves, we're not. And so it's kind of like one catching up, one reality catching up to the other reality. And what really has to happen is old Adam has to die away. It's more of a dying, a progressive dying yeah. than it is anything else, right? <laughs> uh, so it's not so much a progressive rising as it is a progressive dying. 
And so the static, the static quiets down. That's kind of cool. But, but Bill, the Bible calls us to do good works. Sure it does. Because that's, you know, first of all, they're ours in Christ to begin with. Second of all, it's Christ who's at work in us both to will and to do. So we just got to get out of the way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Ephesians 2.10, after 8 and 9, where we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, Well, and, and every... But we're saved unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. So it, it, as Nagel used to always say, how humble the tool when praised for the work of the Master. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah like, you, really. You're going to brag because you're a screwdriver? Yeah, that's really? right. Great job of driving the screw there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never mind the hand and the arm that turned it. Is it, you know, right. not... not <laughs> But you know, and not only that, but uh, but it's, it would be like the screwdriver um, praising itself for making itself. I'm glad I'm around. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, th- that's that's absolutely true. the The idea that sanctification is is divisible, it can be can be separated from justification, is the first problem because it's not. It, these are just kind of two ways of looking at the thing called salvation. See, this is, sometimes our categories betray us because we slice and dice and categorize. And then we think because we have it in a box, now we understand it. Now we can talk right. about it separately from the other thing. But nobody who is sanctified isn't justified. See, that it's like right. having it's two sides of the same coin. Right. And where there is faith toward God, there is of necessity fervent love for the neighbor. So how do you know that you're sanctified? God said so. I'm baptized. I'm in Christ. Ah, there you go. You can point to your baptism. Well, right. when I say God says so, you, you can ask, well, how, when did he tell you? Right. So, and, and this, is, this is the confusion that arises, is, is that the one who created all things with a word has spoken you righteous in your, in your baptism. And now, you might do things that might contradict that, but still, God has called you righteous, and so you are. Yeah, and so the whole nature of, say, confession and absolution is a recall to that declaration. It's, yes. it's, it's a recall to—it's beyond reminder. It, it's, like, it's, it's like going back to baptism. It is going back to baptism again, but it, it's there to re-identify you to, so that your identity is rooted in Christ and not in yourself, in Christ, not in Adam. And I think the problem with this whole notion of using good works as a measure of sanctification is that it draws the attention on the self, so it becomes a self-oriented thing. And we're hooked on that. We love that. That's the basis of all religion. Yep. And yep. and you know, piet, the pietist beast isn't the only one that walks around doing that. Now I think the no, pietist I, I think the pietist yeah. beast came because of the scholastic beast that uh, that divided justification, sanctification, good works, faith, love, everything. Everything had its category. Everything was tucked in its neat, tidy little corner, and nobody ever stepped back and said said it's all the same thread of a whole cloth. You know what I'm saying? So for those who are playing the the home game, the home how game, you, how do you find scholasticism? Oh, that's that that's that era after Chemnitz, you know, kind of starting with Gerhardt and going on to Danauer and and Bayer and the Missouri Synod got all of its dogmatic tradition out of that tradition. But this is an attempt to do the Aquinas thing with the Reformation. 
in a sense, you know, Johann Gerhardt was kind of like the Thomas Aquinas of Lutherans. And so, you know, now that the dust has settled, now that we're legal, now that we're running the show, at least in German lands, we got to get this all down on paper and codified in volume after volume after volume of, of Aristotelian. It's basically bringing Aristotle back to help organize our religion, our theology. And, uh, you know, Aristotle betrayed us once. Ain't going to do that again, but we did. <laughs> See, and the problem is the Reformation. Luther and those guys, even Chemnitz, who's kind of at the tail end, second generation, those guys were really hard to codify. You, you couldn't pin them yeah. down. That's why everybody gets whatever they want to get out of them, you know? I'm going to say something very non-LCMS here. So uh, those of you at home, brace yourselves. As a matter of fact, I'm going to just do this real quick. Mm. Just, just to oh, sure. attention. Wow. The following segment contains a home schooler alert. That's just startling. That's startling. This will be blasphemy for some. Oh, okay. Go ahead. But I think Peeper says too much. Whoa. Too often. Whoa. Whoa. What are you saying? Measure those words I, I carefully. I think he says too much too often. And so. are, do you have anything specific in mind? He, he came down with a decision on the peccability of Christ. That's the first one. Oh, yeah, but we're not talking about that. Uh, what about like good works and sanctification? Did he go too far? Did he say too much? Mm, I have to go back and read that. So it, wait, wait, where just, does this... Just are, you, that, you just but, threw this out gratuitously? No, because you were talking about scholasticism and having our, our tidy categories and having everything all figured out and on paper. I'll give you a peep. And, I'll and give the you outgrowth a... of this is that you say too much. You, you just say more than you well, should about yeah. things. And that's, a, that's, that's, that's the temptation, I think, is to just keep going and going and going and slicing and dicing. Uh, you know, if you want to, like, really pin something on paper, he, he denied heliocentricity. That the world is the center of all things. No, that the earth orbits around the yes, sun. That's what I meant. He called that into sun. question in the early 20th century. <laughs> Yeah, well, now you know yeah. that's that's not great faith. I mean, we we might marvel at this, but I wouldn't call this great faith. Okay, that's that's become a thing again. It has it comes back. It has, and don't think some other things aren't going to come back again because they always come back. My my simple point of that was that, and and for those of you playing the home game, peccability of Christ means simply. It's that the he question could that, not sin, right? Yeah, it's the question that plagues seminarians, and and uh, it's funny. Was Jesus capable of sinning? Yeah. And if, if you say yes, you deny his humanity. And if you say no, you deny his... his wait, I got that back. <laughs> if you say yes, you deny, his, you deny his divinity. If you say no, you deny his humanity. So the proper answer is... <laughs> it's, that's that's it's, the proper answer. But it? it's, that, question, that question feeds into the very nature of paradox. Yes. Because when you feed a question into a paradoxical situation... It's kind of got the question has to either go to one side or the other side, and and either way, it's not going to be content sitting in the middle because you're going to get two answers, and the two answers are going to conflict with each other. So you're not going to like this, and so the tendency when you feed a question into a paradoxical tension, the the question will want to go to one side or the other side. This is how all the Christological heresies started. Yes. Because Christ is fully God and he's fully man at the same time. This cannot be, but it is. And so you start feeding in questions. Well, does that mean that? And, and then it's going to go either to Christ's humanity or Christ's divinity. So you're either going to become a Nestorian or a Eutychian, one of the, you know, two of the ancient heresies. Right. 
So that and the same thing here is is you're going to start feeding in questions uh, regarding faith and good works, justification, sanctification, objective, subjective justification, and all of these things are are sitting in this kind of paradoxical tension. And the tendency will be to try to resolve it categorically, and that's where we that's where we went wrong, right? And and you know this is one of the beautiful things that I love about being a Lutheran, is that once you embrace paradox, that that these things seem to be contradictory, but we just don't have all of the data to to have a, a true decision on this. That you you can just let it be what it is, and just just say, well, you know. Uh, God's God's mysterious. He's told us everything he wants us to know about himself, but that's not everything that there is about God. I, I don't think, though, that a paradox is, arises due to lack of data. I think a paradox rely, uh, arises due to an internal logical inconsistency. It's just, it is how it is. So well, in I other would words, say a lack is, of data because we can't understand the mind of God. Is is it is God, it a lack of let's say God's triunity that God is three persons and one being as if yeah. that explained anything? Is that a lack of data? No. In a sense, I would say yes, but it's all that God wants us to know. <laughs> See, so, I, I don't think so, that any paradox, even even in eternity, I don't think paradoxes are resolvable. I think they're just delighted in. They're just rejoiced in. They're just okay, embraced well, for what they are. We're basically saying the same thing. You just embrace it for what it is. You say, well, huh. Well, no, uh, but, by, by making it lack of data. That's like liberals uh, thinking that lack of education will so- is, is the problem, and so education is the solution. You're saying that the problem with the paradox is we just don't know enough. When we do know enough, the paradox will be, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be all resolved. I think that it's just beyond our comprehension. Is what I'm saying, and, and see, we, I think that we can't have enough data because even if we did, it wouldn't make sense to us. And I think that the, the paradox is necessary. It's part of the fun. It's like well, a, yeah. it's like a, a, a guitar string under tension. If you take the tension off, you still have a string essentially, but it's it, it's useless. It doesn't sing. And so theology sings under tension of paradox, law, gospel, sinner, saint, true man, true God, three, one. These things, th- this is what makes our theology kind of sing. Um, and you'll notice that other religions don't, don't have this. They, they, they don't like paradox. And that's why Calvinists, like, kill, <laughs> they kill it because they hate paradox too. Right. And does it run the line the, the same way as mystery, or is it different? Uh, mis- no, I don't think, I think it's different. Mystery is, is hiddenness. Mystery is, is you cannot see it, you must be told it and believe it. That's the nature of mystery. Paradox is, it's logically inconsistent. These, these two things cannot be true. I have an illustration I put up uh, with the youth talk. I got two buttons, a red button and a blue button. And the blue button says the red button is true. And the red button says the blue button is false. <laughs> and you just kind of go, um, but that's the nature of paradox. There's no amount of data that's going to resolve this, and that's what we're saying in a lot of these cases. Is that is that um, in Christ you're holy, you're holy sanctified, and yet in Adam you're holy sinful. Well, when we and yet there's only the, one of you. When we are finally seated at the feast of the Lamb, that has no end. We'll see who's right about this. Yeah, that's good, and we'll we'll, we'll see if it makes more. That'll sense That'll be or not. GW episode ten twenty seven from the Saint Peter desk. 
<laughs> I think we've lapsed into wacky religion at this point. I think we have. As, oh, uh, I've gotten let, a little goofy here myself. Yeah, well, let's... Uh-oh. This is a nation that dun, dun, obeyeth dun, dun. not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. God's elect know the time <laughs> when judgment day is coming. But the unbelievers, they don't know the time. God has commanded us to warn them that the sword is coming. Let's wait for Harold. The whole world has to know that judgment day is near. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. We have to there talk is. about this. This is not an option. We have to say it again, again and, and again, again and again. again. May 21, 2011 is the day of judgment. Please well, go there to... There you are. I wonder in the future, like in the year 2000, yeah. are, are we going to actually have flying cars? <laughs> I really wonder about that. <laughs> oh, uh, let's talk about Maryland's butt. We started to talk about it uh, two episodes ago, but we never got to it. From and I think we need to talk about Maryland. RNS, butt. Religion News Service, July 13th, 2018. Oh, we've got June 9th, 2018. I have, anyway. I have July 13th, 2018. Some like it not. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe statue has church venting. And, uh, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just give you the intro here. A 26-foot statue of the actress has been placed in a Stamford Park, that's Connecticut, real posh neighborhood, across from the street from a church, which is getting a full view of her behind. Mm. It depicts the famous scene from 1955's Seven Year Itch, where Monroe holds down her white dress as air blows up from a subway grate. Classic So basically, scene. a giant Marilyn Monroe butt is facing the entrance of your church. Well, what do you do? You know, my first reaction to this, and this is facing the entrance of the first congregational church. Which is fitting. Uh, <laughs> there aren't a lot of Lutheran churches in Connecticut, are there? Um, eh, about 30 or 40. You served out there, didn't you? Yeah. Do you yeah. serve near the near this this park? No, Stamford is closer into New York City, the other end of the oh, state. I see. It's probably about an hour drive. You know, my first reaction to this is I don't think this would have happened if if that were facing a mosque. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you could end your sermon with now go outside and enjoy God's nice creation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and by today's <laughs> standards, it's pretty. Pretty tame. tame. I, I mean, she's wearing granny panties here. It's not. She, like she really is. That's 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 the second thing I noticed. And you yeah. know, the skirt's kind of billowing, and uh, it's I I don't know how well done it is because they only show in part from honestly. Behind, if but, you watch uh, the Olympics these days, track and field and all that, you see as much flesh or more. You know that that's absolutely right. Uh, any any Olympic event, of course, the Olympics were originally done naked. You know, gymnast means naked gymnasium. That's the naked and that's place. what kept me from being an Olympian is my body shame issues. <laughs> well, and the world is thankful. <laughs> so, well, that and talent and desire so, and a few other things. I, I, I love it. City resident Lori Tamburo told the Advocate newspaper she found it disturbing to see children climbing on the statue's leg and looking up the skirt. <laughs> Now it's a children. What are we teaching our children? Tell, tell me that wasn't a bunch of like eleven-year-old boys. Yeah, that, that's. 
I just find the position to be offensive. She said she dropped the O word there. It, it was, in my eyes, very disrespectful. I looked at it, and I think because of what I saw with all these little kids looking up, the height is ruining it. It's ruining beautiful Marilyn. So there you go. Bob said, for the first time, my sons enjoy going to church. <laughs> I made that part up. You made that part <laughs> Now, what's, what I find interesting, and, and you know, I pointed out, is if this were a mosque, A, the statue would have been blown up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or it never would have happened. But the, the And the city would be paying them millions of dollars of reparation for this hate crime. Totally. Yeah, it would have been yeah. considered a hate crime. Oh, uh, yes. The artist, oh, let's see, the artist's name is Seward Johnson. Yeah, he'd be on the run right now. Fatwa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, the, the statue's on loan, and it's it's only during the summer, so this isn't a permanent installation. How do you loan a 26-foot statue? Oh, they loan. They, they do this all the time. Crane come in, take yeah, it away. Yeah, take it away. Probably, you know, crate it up, cart her away. But uh, you know what's funny? But that funny? dress is really billowing out. I mean, that's that's kind of hard to transport. Yeah, it's pretty like. pretty dynamic. Maybe it comes apart. Some of these things do oh, come apart. Yeah. Pieces. But you know what's curious is the pastor is not bothered in the least. The the reverend, doctor. I like when they pile pile titles yeah. on, don't you? The reverend. We doctor. are the reverend manly doctors. Yeah, we are. We're the MDDs. So Todd actually, yeah. Grant Yonkman. Yonkman. Yonkman, pastor of the First Congregational Church, has a sense of humor about the statue, but said it was an odd artistic choice. Quote, the issue, why that statue? He said in an email to the Associated Press, Marilyn Monroe was an artist deserving our respect. Why appropriate her image in this way? Is this the best we can do? So he's... Um, He's uh, con- he was marketing. He said that he heard Marilyn Mar- uh, Monroe's husband at the time of the seven year age baseball star Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, where have you Joe. gone, Joe DiMaggio? He was uncomfortable with her yeah. shooting the subway vent scene. Man, think about what they shoot today in film. Oh yeah. Well, we- Joe DiMaggio was uncomfortable with uh, with Simon and Garfunkel using his name. He was uncomfortable with signing any autographs and he's kind of a jerk <laughs> well so, uh, so uh, final words from Yonkman on this maybe the city should let us give her some pants <laughs> come on I think he's got tongue tongue in cheek yeah, there I, but I uh, it seems like he and the congregation are taking this very much in stride and are having a good sense of humor about it there are a few people who are offended and in general, people are concerned about Marilyn's reputation. I don't know how much of a, you know, how much of a reputation we actually well, after have. after the Kennedys protect, were done but, with, uh, not a whole lot of reputation. Yeah, had, so. but um, she's kind of one of those tragic figures of, of pop culture. Yes. Uh, and so I guess that, that, that sort of that bittersweet tragedy kind of thing lives on in the image of the statue where she's... There with her dress billowing, and and she's just in a park. There's no like heating vent under her billowing to the dress. It just is that. I'd like to know some of the history. We should get our, our friend Ted on to tell us the history of the billowing skirt scene well, in maybe, the seven year uh, itch on your other podcast that you do with him. Ted, you guys could take up the seven year itch. Ted can talk about the symbolic significance of this in some I fashion. I cannot but. watch movies like he does. It, it's amazing. Wow, my brain, my brain sees. would freeze up. It would just like all of a sudden I'd just 
you know, my dream life has gotten really strange since I subjected myself to, uh, you know, we were watching Zombieland the other night. Oh, which, love that movie. Woody Harrelson is just dynamic. Well, and Bill Murray's little part in that one oh, was awesome. Yeah, that was that was great. But yeah. So anyway, so much for Marilyn's butt. Yeah. Uh, installed butt. in, it's going to be uh, viewed uh, Forever Marilyn's, the name of the sculpture in Latham Park in Stamford, Connecticut for the summer. They have installed Marilyn's butt. <laughs> well, it's all of Marilyn's is showing her butt, but um, it seems to me rather tame. But uh, um, I think you have something else in mind too on a more oh Billy oh, a more apocalyptic <laughs> note. <laughs> we need some sort of theme music for this one too. Well, because uh, you remember Jim Baker. This is a nation yeah, that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, yeah. nor receiveth correction. That's it. That's all that now, needs to be see. said. I think Jim Baker went to prison for. Uh, I think it was real estate fraud. Yeah, there was f- right. some financial it, shenanigans going on and, there. And they were building like this big complex down in Florida or something and taking people's money and not building condos or something. You know, he's, he's the gift that keeps on giving. He never, ever goes away, does he? Well, he went away. And now he's now for, he's back. For a while, and now he's back. And he seems to be a one-trick pony. Jim Baker, buy my condos in Branson. NASA says they'll be safe in the end times. NASA, so, no less than NASA. Yes, the scientists have been proving this. As the article puts it, since when has anyone ever moved to Branson on the <laughs> advice of scientists? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, you're, you're going to get yourself a tribulation-proof condo if you move to Branson and buy one of uh, Jim Baker's condos down there. Of course, he's been, I, I don't know if you've been channel surfing or not and come across Jim Baker. He's been hawking uh, food for the end times, you know, dried uh, zombie proof. Uh, zombie, yeah. Zombie he's, apocalypse. He's ready for the zombie apocalypse. And all that, which <laughs> is also just secular uh, words for the tribulation. Well, it's, it's it's just words to sell property is what it, what it's about. Do you know that there was a tabloid article declaring Kansas City as one of the several places where you'd probably want to be during World War III? There's nothing of interest to enemy, enemies? No, there? the city is surrounded by fertile farmland, and oh. so is the ideal mm-hmm. spot to defend against attackers, probably yeah. including zombies. Uh, wasn't it, In fact, one of the characters in Zombieland is, is Wichita, so that right there. Yeah, um, I I always thought uh, somewhere like Catalina Island, but you know you're, yeah. you're really short on resources there. So yeah, island's probably not a wise island. move. You want to be able to loot and plunder all the the destroyed cities. Yeah, there's that, but the zombies will have a hard, hard time getting to you. Unless do, you they can walk do we want to listen to Jim kind of like yes, uh, sell his snake oil? Let's let's hear what yes. Jim has to say here. There's nowhere on earth you could live with more. Of God's generals here. What, who, we're, we're God's generals. Who is of, that? Of Branson, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. Is where we. Our address is Branson, but we're outside a little bit. We're on the other side of the lake. Huge of fountain. Branson. Branson has the number one Christian theater in the world. You're we talking about sight and sound, sound. <laughs> which don't sound. That's spiritual. Let's hey. give applause for that. Sight and sound. Uh, I tell you what. Tell you what. You all are going to know 
soon why God brought us here. There's only some guys say amen. Amen. The people from the government, from the, the NASA, the research from so many of them, NASA. They have said NASA. in their research, research, the safest place to live in troubled times is right here. Branson, Missouri, right Branson, there. Branson, Missouri. You know, uh, it, this reminds me of Neil Postman, who used to to joke around with his colleagues at Harvard by making up some just totally weird thing and prefacing it with. Research has shown, or recent studies have shown, and he says you wouldn't believe what you could pass off on Harvard colleagues just by just by talking about recent studies have shown. A couple of that's years why ago, God us here. Uh, oh, that's why God brought us here. Wow! A couple of years There's ago, nowhere on earth you could live with more of God's generals here. What does that mean? I think he misspoke with generals. Generals. It sounds God's, like generals. God's gen- Does he not. mean like himself, like these uh, super spiritual pastor types? Who would want to live with a bunch of old retired celebrity pastors anyway? Oh, I would. That would be fun. <laughs> Are you crazy? It would be hilarious. You know what? I, I, I would love you've to. A, you've got the makings of a, of a really, really good uh, reality program. Remember, remember when... When uh, we went to the TBN headquarters, yes, yeah, you know, and and walked around all this place, I would love to buy that and live in that place, just yeah. furnished the way it is. <laughs> you know, or, or um, you know, we were talking about uh, um, Zombie Land, but you, you know, they went to Bill Murray's house, and and everything right. is so Beverly Hills is still looking nice while all of Los Angeles is just trashed in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great to in the zombie apocalypse to take up residence at the TBN headquarters? Oh I man, think that, that would be good. Closed it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's closed too. Did I'm glad we it? went when we did. We still have pictures. Oh yeah. But can you imagine? Like, I would love to live there. That'd be just so creepy and fun. It really would. And I would love to live with a bunch of old TV evangelists because I bet they party hard. <laughs> you know, they, they have the, been all the their life. Thing, do the opposite kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, they they're going nuts. They they throw the best parties. That would that would be that would be enormous fun. So if you want to survive the coming apocalypse, Branson, Missouri, NASA right. says so. That you heard it, you heard it here second on now, the GW. Here's the beautiful thing about it is he's building this place which is zombie safe. Mm-hmm. And if you're a pre-tribulation rapture, a pre-millennial dispensationalist, wow, that that's a fast, lot. That's a lot to say. They're building this zombie-proof kind of thing, but they will be raptured. And those of you who don't believe in the rapture will probably be left behind. So you know where you can go to fight off the zombies because they've built this nice place for you and it'll be free. Yeah, this is this is the part that never made sense to me. Is <laughs> why am I bunkering in when I'm going to be like like beamed up anyway? Well, because there are those who believe in mid-trib rapture and post-trib <laughs> so, rapture. So in other words, they're not really sure about what they're talking about here. No, absolutely. Okay, not. they're just making. The they're, you're no. saying they're making it up as they go along. Yes, because it makes lots of money and selling real estate in Branson. That, I thought that it was real estate that he got busted for last time. Where does he get this idea that, that this is the number one Christian theater? And what on earth is a Christian theater? I think that they probably filmed the program there, yeah, and therefore be. it's the number one, and it's Christian because 
they're selling their bottled and water, boxed yeah. food and water. Amen. So amen. It's. Uh, I think it's time to say amen to this show. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Well, listen, you can follow us anytime on Facebook. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And hey, by the way, as long as you're on iTunes, give us five stars. Yay. We want stars. We, we want good want we want our egos we want fed. good Yelp review. Craig needs this. He needs Yelp. to see he needs to see five stars up there. I didn't there. even think about Yelp. Yeah. No, don't yeah. don't don't review, review us on Yelp. That's just that's that's Look, shark if, infested waters. If you waters. get this show through any other outlet, give us five stars there too. Exactly. Even if they don't have stars. Google Play, Stitcher, all any of those things. You can email us at godwhispers at gmail.com. We'll condense your letter, we'll make something up, we'll read it. No names, we promise. No names. Your and if, if you want to listen to the entire archive, and we no longer warn people, you're, this is entirely, you're on your own now. It is kind of the Everest of podcasting to listen to all, all 338 episodes, but you can do that at godwhispers.com. Thanks for listening. Listen safely.